If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. There is a big difference that has happened that I've noticed in the last year, which is I think all of us working in e-commerce, we're used to basically going around without begging bowls, asking for headcount, asking for marketing investment, asking for resources, asking for people's time. What has changed? The debate about how incremental is e-commerce, the debate about how important, that's over. People are now saying how. So now my inbox and my phone is busy actually managing different requests for the number of people that want to learn more about this space. So now actually we've got the opposite problem, which is how can you educate at scale, but also how can you make more ambassadors in the business to lead the charge and deliver the transformation we all want to see. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero, and this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. So Sarah, I'm sure you're having similar calls like me, but I feel like every single time I'm getting on the phone with a customer, they're telling me about a reorg that they're going through right now. I was in the office a couple of weeks ago and we were talking amongst ourselves within the customer success team about where does e-commerce report into and also who has the budget and my head was spinning because it was like, oh, it's in one department and then it got moved here, but the funding comes from here. And it's like, my head is still spinning, trying to remember where things are. Yeah, I think it's getting more complicated because there's no one right answer. Yeah. You know, if I think about just my timeline of building Micmac, you know, I brought the software to market in the beginning of 2017. And in 2017, I felt like e-com primarily sat in the sales organization. And then by 2018, 19, depending on your company, it started to develop as a center of excellence. And then the pandemic struck. It became an increasingly large part of your company's overall revenue. And the trend this year in 2021, all these customer calls that I'm getting on 
folks are telling me that e-com is now moving into the brand teams because they truly see this as an omni-channel function. But if your brand manager, think about how long your to-do list is now. Yeah, you know, I think the move to decentralize, I think it depends on what you're decentralizing. So if it's retail media, for example, decentralizing makes sense if you're decentralizing so that you can have a full line of sight into the budget of your media. If you're decentralizing data and analytics, yes, the laundry list of things you have to be thinking about is so long that if you start decentralizing too quickly when your brand teams aren't in the mindset to take it on, Not to mention the lack of shared knowledge or best practice between brands, between categories, between regions. Not that your job in the center should be a dot connector, Mm -hmm. but it's got to be at least partially highlighting what greatness looks like and creating a North Star for everybody else. So I think certain things are almost more ready to be decentralized than others. And it's tied to talent. It's tied to tools. It's tied to maturity. It's tied to culture. There's so many different permutations here. I'm in complete agreement. And you think about one of the largest or the largest CPG family brands in the world, Nestle. As long as I've been working with Nestle, I feel like they've gone through a lot of these iterations, these cycles that we just described. And your bud, Neil, is about to take on a transformational role. Well, I think one of the nice things about Neil in this new role that he is embracing starting in August is the fact that he's been there, done that. Somebody who's seen things at PepsiCo, seen things at Amazon, but seen things even within the halls of Nestle in pet care, which from an e-commerce perspective is on freaking fire. And seeing it from a regional perspective, having led pet care e-commerce for the Amina region, which is Europe, Middle East, North Africa. And being able to look at it from that perspective and then bring it into a global perspective, you need a certain type of person that can bring both the knowledge, but also the empathy. And I think Neil is really at the intersection of both. Well, with that, let's bring Neil onto the show. Neil, thank you for joining us on the show. And let's have some breaking news here. What is your new role? Oh, well, well, I wasn't expecting all this. Firstly, I must say thanks a lot for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here. A big fan and you guys are doing a great job for the industry. So starting on August the 2nd, I will be going to a new role, which we're creating in the the center, which is global head of e-commerce for Nestle Group. That is super exciting. And the company is so lucky to have you at the helm globally. The pet business was certainly super lucky, but to have that going across all of the different business units and all of the different regions across Nestle, I think that's just absolutely astounding. And they're extremely lucky to have you. You're moving from one of the fastest growing industries in pet, especially as it relates to e-commerce through your role in Purina to Nestle, which has some brands that are like prone to being e-commerce ready, like a Nespresso or anything in the coffee space, but also to things that might not necessarily be as naturally inclined, like frozen or other things in that ilk. So what excites you and scares you about diversifying beyond pet? Great question and definitely equally excited and scared at the same time. So I think what I'm most excited about is the breadth of Nestle's uh, categories, but also the the breadth of the the geography means that the role that e-commerce plays is actually going to really vary based on different e-commerce sub-channels. So as you guys know very well, e-commerce is no longer one homogenous thing. It's a a suite of uh, various sub-channels. And within the Nestle group, we've got brands that will work, say, for example, in more impulsive areas. 
like last mile delivery, such as confectionery. And then there's other categories like pet care, which is a much more regular and planned purchase and, and, you know, leans towards pure players. And then there's everything in the middle. So I'm going to have to get my head around different categories, different geographies, and then somehow match that together with e-commerce sub-channels, which I can't wait to get started and learn about. It is very exciting to have that diversification of both categories and channels. Although some of your confectionery brands are much more considered purchases considering how high-end many of them are, especially uh, some of that delicious high-end Swiss chocolate. It's clearly becoming dinner time as we record because like <laughs> my mouth is like salivating as we're talking. I just picture, Neil, how you're going to be inundated on LinkedIn by every private equity and growth equity investor because you're given such a global seat to see what's actually happening in CPG. It's amazing. You know, one of the things that's happening in CPG, and I know you have a strong opinion on this, is what you've dubbed Q-commerce, quick commerce. Tell us more about what this budding industry is, why you're excited about it, and maybe some things that could be challenges. Well, firstly, is it quick commerce or is it last mile delivery? Because as I've been learning about this area, I've realized that different people call it different things. In preparation for this, I did do a quick poll on LinkedIn to understand what people call it. And it was completely inconclusive. It was like another Brexit vote. It was basically split between different companies. And actually, I'm also split about the future for quick commerce or indeed uh, last mile deliveries. On the one hand, unfortunately, this year, my family and I, we got struck down with COVID back in uh, February. We're completely fine after um, a couple of weeks, grateful to say. But last mile delivery, quick commerce was an absolute lifesaver for us. Being stuck in quarantine in a flat in Barcelona No family nearby to help out, even though our friends were amazing, really got to learn the power of this business model. And since then, I've been an addict. On the flip side, the industry, the business model has got serious profitability issues. When you think about the the average size of the baskets, the fixed costs of delivery, even with scale, even with more and more drivers and greater efficiency, I still think there's profitability concerns. But then I'm pretty sure that's what a lot of investors were saying about Amazon uh, 20 years ago. So to steal an Amazon quote, you know, start from the customer and, and work backwards. The need is there. Now it's on all of us to make this work and make sure we make it work in a sustainable way. Yeah. And Barcelona, what were your apps of choice when it came to quick commerce? I became a, a prime member at Glovo. Glovo, it means a balloon in uh, Spanish. And the city is dotted by these uh, drivers who've got the yellow backpacks carrying their wares. But also it's a Barcelona-based company. So I I felt I wanted to support it, even though they're uh, taking over much of uh, Europe and South America at the same time. It is fascinating to hear how all of these different startups are popping up for last mile delivery or Q-commerce. I'd like to say Q-commerce only because, A, it's shorter And B, I first learned about it when I was reading your post on LinkedIn about it a few months back. So we're just going to stick with Q-commerce for today's episode, regardless of your inconclusive poll. I do think that if we can just click in a little bit deeper on that, the profitability question is definitely a big one. But, And I think that that was the downfall of, let's say, you know, Webvan 20 years ago. So on the one hand, whereas Amazon was very successful due to perseverance and plowing a lot of money into it, I wonder what that tipping point ends up becoming, not just for these intermediaries, if you will, 
but for the manufacturers itself, like how important does market share become relative to cost serve? It's always a tough balance to strike. Given this is an emerging uh, channel and given we think it's going to grow, clearly things like market share are going to be an obsession for any FMCG. But also we have to balance this with other channels and also the routes to market can be quite complex. You know, sometimes it's picked from store, sometimes it's delivered by wholesalers, sometimes there's uh, dark stores. So all of this needs to be understood such that we can make the right decisions and we're partnering with the right partners because the space is super crowded right now. And I'm not sure all of them are going to be around in five or 10 years time. The big debate, at least in you know the US, is not just about profitability, but also incrementality. Like, would you have already gotten this customer or is it just making it easier for them to shop at an existing retailer that they would have already shopped at? I'm pretty sure that's been another longstanding debate even before Commerce existed, right, about incrementality. So <laughs> things that's uh, most exciting for me is about the opportunity to create new occasions, be that around events, but specifically on the impulse mission. As human beings, we're always looking to take shortcuts. And Qcommerce absolutely gives us the opportunity for new occasions, which makes impulsive categories. It can help absolutely help grow them, that I'm sure of. Beyond Qcommerce, you know, you're so plugged into the overall e-com industry globally. What do you still see as pain points in the industry that need to be solved? Well, the first thing to say is I've got a lot to learn. My focus has really been in Europe. I know a little bit about North America, but in terms of understanding the, the shape of e-commerce in the world, there's a whole suite of things I need to get my head around. The thing which I've been struck by most, I'm sure you guys have all seen it, this uh, chart, six years change in six weeks or eight years change in eight weeks, this one that went around at the time of COVID. What I'm seeing about a year after that is that the ripple effects of this huge penetration burst we've seen in e-commerce. And really it's touching every single part of the business that we can see, but also parts that we can't see. So if I give you an example, we knew before that we needed more e-commerce packs to better service our pure players, again, on the profitability issue. And we're going to need more and more of those in recent, in, in the years to come. But what about the factories that make those packs? And what about the lines in those factories? How are they going to need to change? How are they going to look? And now our factories are delivering to different locations. So what about the layout of the factories and the roads that feed the factories? So every single part of the value chain needs to be reset and reconfigured for the difference in how shoppers are changing, where, how and why they buy things. That's a great point. And the importance of somebody in your role, whether that's the role you have as of this recording or the role you'll have next week is both educating about the implications and that ripple effect across whether that's the factory, the transport, what have you, but also ensuring that people understand the interdependencies of their actions. you have any interesting anecdotal story or stories that you can share with us around how that education <laughs> has gone and where you're finding willingness to learn versus uh, reticence? Honestly, I must say I'm super lucky to be part of the business that I'm in. And I'm not just saying this because lots of people are going to listen to this. It's really, Perina's a, a fantastic business. For me, 
I found in the main, people have been really receptive, especially in Europe. I know that's not the case in other categories and other segments, but we're already at a category that's, you know, been in the double digits e-commerce penetration for some time. But there is a big difference that has happened that I've noticed in the last year, which is I think all of us working in e-commerce, we're used to basically going around with our begging bowls, asking for headcount, asking for marketing investment, asking for resources, asking for people's time. What has changed? The debate about how incremental is e-commerce, the debate about how important that's over. People are now saying how. So now my inbox and my phone is busy actually managing different requests for the number of people that want to learn more about this space. So now actually we've got the opposite problem, which is how can you educate at scale, but also how can you make more ambassadors in the business to lead the charge and deliver the transformation we all want to see? I think one of the things that makes this particularly interesting, and certainly having come from a marketing background and now obviously more in e-commerce, is the difference with the push and pull. And I think a lot of it just simply comes down to dollars and cents or euros or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> you know, the whole idea of if I don't do this, forget about the incrementality, I'm going to lose customer, I'm going to lose revenue, I'm going to lose a share. And so therefore, if I don't become educated, then A, there will be a PL impact, or B, I'm not going to actually keep my skills current enough to be successful in the job that I'm at. And so, yes, that certainly makes your phone ring off the hook, if you will, but it also creates such tremendous opportunity when done well. How do you balance like the difference between education, teach through immersion, and trying to teach at scale? Because that's a really hard thing to do with a company of your size. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to work this out. Um, There are some great tools that teach at scale. I I learned a, a lot about that in my time at Amazon, and they definitely have their place. But there's also huge value in sitting with people, helping them do things, but also explaining the why. Nestle's an enormous company with a lot of people. So finding this balance is going to be the secret to success in my new role. But also we've got some super smart people in the organization. It's certainly not just me leading this charge. So the more ambassadors we can build, the more experts we can build, the easier it becomes. You you brought up Amazon. I don't know how many folks know that you you once worked there. And so you've experienced there, you've experienced on the brand manufacturer side. What's your advice to folks who are listening? maybe who want to make a job switch to the other side, do you see advantages to doing that, disadvantages, being on both sides of the table? If I can share a couple of the things that I've learned. Firstly, just the act of switching and then switching back was fantastic. Being sat at both sides of the metaphorical table, it really does help you understand things from another person's perspective. And I'm not embarrassed to admit, when I started as a buyer, I didn't realize that I was also responsible for selling that as well. So I wasn't just talking to suppliers and buying it. I had to sell it to customers. And this was kind of the first shock in terms of the two hats that you have to wear when you're a vendor manager. In terms of specific things, when I think about the rate of change in in pure play and the rate of change within the FMCG industry, specifically for manufacturers, there's the risk of making a mistake is far lower than the risk of going not fast enough. So I know this is a bit of a a cliche about trying stuff, about failing, but really maybe this is what I'm, I'm known for a little bit in my team. I don't think it's possible to go too fast such that you make a huge mistake, which is not irreversible, but the cost of inaction is massive when behaviors are changing so fast. 
from the other side, the thing I love about the FMCG industry that or CPG industry that we all work in is the customers, certainly that that we do the most for and get the most out of Nestle are the ones that have those long-standing relationships. Even in this uh, technological world, relationships matter. And it's really the balancing of short-term challenges, commercial issues versus really having strong long-term strategic planning. And those businesses that we move to that long-term strategic planning, ultimately the ones we do the most for when it comes to a retailer point of view. Great answer. And I think your whole concept of how to fail fast right is certainly a great segue to our final question. What do you think, Rach? I think it's time, though I don't want it to be. Neil, what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? What a question. So one person's brave is another person's crazy and uh, vice versa. I've already mentioned that we had COVID, but the first lockdown in Spain was really, really brutal. We were in our flat with no outside space for 50 days straight. And honestly, we got claustrophobia. So at the end of summer 2020, my wife and, and our two kids, we decided to put all of our stuff in storage and basically live in Airbnb or other rental properties and hop from home to home with almost no possessions just to have some kind of experience and get out of this claustrophobic world that we were all living in. Wow. Where'd you go? We started off with these grand adventure plans, but then our kids still had school. The school commute was a challenge, but then because uh, the city of Barcelona was empty, we had a chance to live in some incredible properties that we otherwise wouldn't have got to live in. And honestly, it was such a good experience living on the Rambla, living in Pasis de Gracia, these incredible places, staying in some stunning properties. But I would say the best thing was actually learning what's important in your life. All the things that we are weighed down with, especially those of us who've got kids, you don't need, really, you don't need 80% of it. You always need a bottle opener. This is essential for any house. And if you move to a house without a bottle opener, then then you'll quickly find you're in trouble. But most of the other stuff, you need Wi-Fi, you need a few items of clothing, and then the rest is just a great adventure. Well, the rest is achievable via Q-commerce, I suppose. (laughs) Indeed, yes, indeed. That is quite inspiring. And I tend to agree. I'm now having major remorse that I didn't maximize the use of quarantine for better adventure or self-reflection for that matter, but incredibly inspiring. And thank you for sharing both the bravery in your personal life, but also some of the really great thoughts and actions that you've taken in your career and, and how that can help so many of our listeners get better at theirs. As I said, absolute pleasure to be here. And I'm learning so much from listening to your podcast. So keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.